to be around you, to bump into you, to see you, to hear you, all the things that happen when we are around each other. And for those of you online, we're super excited that you're able to connect with us in that way too. Uh, So really what I'm saying is however you are connected to us, we love it and we're super happy. Uh, Do want to let you know if you haven't had a chance yet, uh, if uh, you want to grab a Bible in the back if you don't have one, or there's some sheets of paper back there that are kind of just guides, but they have some fill-in-the-blank stuff and uh, just some things to help uh, stay engaged. Not quite as robust. Rich did an awesome job with it last week, so this is kind of a mini version of that. Um, but those are back on the back table for you there. And if you're online, they're on our online platform at www.onelifeseattle.org live in the notes section. Uh, you'll find those there. Um, yeah, okay. With all that, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll move on. Lord, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. God, we just acknowledge that um, sometimes life can be really difficult, can be overwhelming, um, we can feel lost, um, but we hear today that you have said that we can be overcomers of the world. And so I ask God that we would find in you what that means uh, and that you, we would find that here today together. And so I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're starting the last two weeks of our sermon series uh, in 1 John, this sort of exploration of, of, of those, that letter. Um, and we entitled the series, God is Love. And we did that because um, John's relationship with Jesus, the guy who wrote these letters, he's a dear friend of Jesus, one of his closest followers. And his relationship with Jesus transformed him in such a way that he had a new understanding of what it meant to, uh, to love those around him, to, to what it meant that he was the beloved of God. Um, and, and it got him to a point where he could say, it's not just that God is capable of love or that God is just loving, but indeed that God is love. It's who God is. It's God's nature. And it's that foundational belief that we discovered earlier on was something that the early church actually taught people right away. John says, this is something you heard right from the beginning, the beginning of your journey. Someone who's interested in following or knowing God, maybe not even following, but just interested, this was probably one of the first critical things they were told. God is love. And the passage we're going to look at today has a lot in it. Um, some ways, it's kind of a review. Um, it, it is. The, this last chapter, really, John is concluding the letter, so he's kind of wrapping a lot of things up. Um, so it's kind of the beginning of the end, so to speak. Um, but the passage we're going to look at is 1 John 5, 1 through 12. And so if you have your Bible, you can open it up to 1 John 5, 1 through 12 and read along with me. Uh, if you want, the words will be up on the screen. Um, or if you're at home uh, and you have your Bible, you can do that there. Or uh, it's also in our notes section um, in, the, in the online platform. So again, this is 1 John uh, 5, 1 through 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, this section kind of has it all. Right? It's got all of the God is love parts. Um, excuse me. It's got the circular and, and kind of binary statements that have made us feel all kinds of different feelings throughout this series. It's got the artistic and, and kind of poetic imagery that makes parts of John really exciting, but also really difficult to understand and kind of parse out. But the thing that is there the most through this is the presence of Jesus. And that's what's really going on in this section. John wants his readers and us to understand that God's love has been demonstrated in his sending of his only son to be with us, to live and die with and for all humanity. And so he's going to shift from the last section that that Rich took us through last week, which is great, um, and he's going to transition, but he's going to do it in this interesting way. If you remember talked a couple of times about this thing called a chiasm or a chiastic format, and it's that idea where there's a phrase or a concept, uh, and, and there's going to be two sets, and those kind of form like pieces of bread that hold a sandwich together. So it's kind of marking out a certain section by repeating a phrase or an idea, and then everything in between is kind of captured in there like the, the goodies inside a sandwich. Um, but this one is a little bit different, and it's the first four verses And so I just want to kind of read through these and kind of, I've highlighted some words and I'm going to show you what's going on here. So in 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Uh, And just uh, that spot there, uh, loves his child, that is not referring to Jesus, that's referring to others, other believers, children of God. Um, And then uh, 5.2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. 5.3, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And then a 5.4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now, it's a chiastic structure because it has this kind of flow. The first verse is about faith and love. The second and third verses are really about love and obedience. And then the fourth verse, it has faith in there, but it shifts Instead of being specifically about faith and love, it's about faith and victory, faith and overcoming. And so it's a sign that John is making this transition into a new section. Um, And I want to talk a little bit uh, about God's commands because these are words uh, that we're usually uncomfortable with nowadays. Things like uh, command, commandment, obey, obedience. Those are typically not words that we um, like to think about unless we're training dogs. Uh, or something like that. And that's why it's hard for us, because we use these things in ways that they're, they're not culturally words that are either acceptable or really used that much. And so it's kind of hard for us to, 
to understand this. And so sometimes what can be helpful is to look at other versions, <clears throat> translations of Scripture, uh, and, and see if they uh, phrase things any differently, and, and not in ways that are completely off track, but in ways that maybe can help. Uh, so I've put four up here uh, for you to look at. Uh, maybe. We might be having a shutdown here. Uh, Henry, can you jump to the next slide? There we go. Uh, so the first one is the NIV, which is the one we've been using this morning. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. The New American Standard Bible, revised in 2020, for this is the love of God that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So those are pretty similar. The message, which is a paraphrased translation done by Eugene Peterson, says, the proof that we love God comes when we keep his commandments, and they are not at all troublesome. It's different. And then the First Nations version, if you remember, was put together by uh, collaborative efforts from different uh, First Nations groups in, uh, in, in North America. Um, and the way they translated it was, for when we follow his instructions, it shows our love for the Great Spirit, and his instructions are not hard to follow. That, I think, is one that <clears throat> culturally would be more easy for people to connect with. Right? If, if, and if you find that words like obey and command are difficult for you, sometimes another version will say the exact same thing right? when we follow his instructions. That's really the same. Right? It shows our love, and his instructions are not hard to follow. Um, well, if this is true, then what are uh, the commands? Right? And here you've got a little spot on your paper if you want to fill in. And Henry, if you can go to the next slide, I think. Um, the commands are to, or instructions are to love one another, to love God, and to love one another. So we love God by believing in and trusting uh, Jesus. We put our faith in God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Right? And that relationship which John earlier talked about, his own experience of God that he called fellowship with God, that he said, and this is what I want for you, to join with us in our fellowship with God, and you can experience this. It's a transformation that happens through an experience of being loved by God that now we can love in a new way. So that's what loving God and then loving one another looks like. But the thing that's challenging, and still, even though it shifted to, and oh, and his instructions are not hard to follow, I wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if we really think that. When I ask myself, is it easy to love people? Oh, sure, certain people. But then there's other people that I can think of right away that it's not easy to love. And so how can John say that it's not burdensome? Right? Sometimes I even find it challenging to love the people that are close to me, let alone the people that I don't like or just uh, as a human being don't care about doesn't seem like this rings true so John says actually there's there's some overcoming that has to take place because part of that inability to love is part of what it means to be in and of the world and so John says that it's through faith in Jesus that this is possible and it's very reminiscent of the passage that's up on the screen there in Mark 11 28 through 30 where Jesus has come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. So there's something there. There's something in Jesus that changes. 
And in Hebrews 12, 1, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so we have these images and these descriptions of things that entangle us, things that hinder us, burdens that weigh on us. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, and John is echoing this, if you are following Jesus in relation with Jesus, then that's going to change. The world no longer has the same hold on you. That sounds pretty, pretty cool to me. So what does that mean then to overcome the world? Right? If we remember the world, for John, it is not uh, the planet Earth. Right? That's not, not what we're thinking of here. Um, but what John is thinking of is that it's this... Uh, ethos or uh, a posture that any person can take, whether they're connected to Jesus or not, any person can take a, a posture like this where you pit yourself against God and God's will or God's desires. And that, that's God's will or desires for everything, for, for individuals, for groups, for all of creation. Anytime we are working against either in our hearts or expressing that, then we're in this spot where we're more aligned with the world. And so when John is talking about overcoming the world, he's not talking about conquering people, right, or conquering things that way. John means that there's a way to successfully live out God's way rather than succumbing to the whims and the priorities of a rebellious world. God's way is, is love, love that is learned and experienced through a belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And by loving God and following others um, of Jesus, uh, and by following Jesus, we can transcend the values of the world. What are those values? Well, those values are hate and lies. In John 8, Jesus is speaking to a group of religious leaders, this group called the Pharisees. And this group, they're super devout to the law, the rules. So they're, they're following the commandments. They should be good, Right? But they've made those commandments their God. And they've made the following of those commandments the key to salvation. They're not an expression of love. It's the way they get saved. It's the way they find favor with God. And so they've lost sight of what it means to love God. And so Jesus says to this group in John 8, 44, he says, You belong to your father, the devil, and I can't tell you how aggressive and just undoing that must have been for a Pharisee to hear that. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see that, that, that lying and hatred, I think, are the engine for the world. This, the world as John describes it. So for John, then, overcoming the world is living lives that have been transformed. Transformed by the love of God through the Holy Spirit and then are rooted in belief in Jesus. And from that rootedness in Jesus, there's an expression of truth. Love for God and others that results in flourishing and connection to God for all people. Again, that sounds amazing. 
John follows this with this really interesting question, a rhetorical question. He says, who is, who is it that overcomes the world? And the answer should be no one. None of us. Because we're all caught up in this at some level. And even though we and, and others we know, whether they're uh, intentionally connected to Jesus or not, we find times where we experience great love. Right? And it occurs in all kinds of places. But the kind of sustained love that is capable of overcoming the world, not just battling the world, but overcoming the world, is the kind that John's talking about. And there's, a, there's the, what we often joke about is a Sunday school answer. Right? We could say, Jesus, Jesus is the one that overcomes the world. But John doesn't say that. John says, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is the one who overcomes the world, which is extraordinary because that means anyone can be someone who overcomes the world. That means anyone can be someone who overcomes hatred. Anyone can be someone who overcomes lies and can live in the truth and in love. That for anyone, there's a way to be in relationship with the God who created the cosmos that shows and enables us to live out a new and deeper love that transcends all others. So John wants to help his readers and us become more established in that, to explore that. And so he says, so this is about Jesus, and Jesus is the one, he says, it didn't come by water alone, but came by water and blood. Now, this is what one author called uh, the most confusing of all, in all of John's letters, the most confusing section. Now, we've got to remember, John is super kinesthetically oriented, tactile, sensual. So we have all this language that reflects that in his letters. We have seen, we have heard, um, we have touched, and we have, we have been seen, we have been heard, and we've been touched by Jesus. We've eaten with, traveled with, shared living space with, prayed with, smelled, bumped into, all those things. And these words, water and blood, are very physical, tactile words like that. Water is a source of healing, it's hydration, it's refreshing, it's cleansing. But it's also important in philosophy and art. And blood is seen as an integral part of life and is used in phrases by the early church like the blood of Jesus to signify his death, his atoning death on the cross. So all of those meanings are there attached to these words. And at the same time, it's probably a reality that the early church, the group that John was writing to, probably had a better understanding in that context of what those words meant. There may have been songs that they were singing that had those very phrases in them. There may have been philosophical and cultural discussions happening right around them. So we have to do a little bit of work to get there. There's three quick options for what uh, water and blood refer to um, that I think we can see. The first one is that uh, they refer to Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion. Right, so the water, we can see uh, Jesus is baptized in water by John the Baptist, and the crucifixion, again, is referring to his blood. And the thing here that's interesting to me is that there's a really heavy connection between John the Baptist's um, testimony to who Jesus is that, that is based on the baptism scene. 
right, where Jesus is baptized, and it says the Spirit comes down on him like a dove and, and, and remains on him. And so there's this moment where John the Baptist is experiencing the testimony of God. The Spirit comes down. A voice says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And, and so John experiences that, John the Baptist. And that's a connection to water and spirit. Right, and so that's, that's one of the, the first ones. It could be connected to, to the baptism of Jesus and his crucifixion. Uh, the next one is that both of them are referring to Jesus' crucifixion. And this goes back to a passage of Scripture where uh, Jesus' side is pierced and both blood and water pour out of his side. And so there's a reference there that people say, oh yeah, that's the clear one, that it's, it's talking about both of those things. The third one is that water refers to Jesus' birth and his life. So it's kind of the, the physicality of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus. He was born as a human being, lived that life. And then the blood, again, refers to his death. Now, <clears throat> all those three are interesting. Um, but I think what this section is really about is that John is saying there is a testimony to who Jesus is, that there are things that point to the reality of who Jesus is. And he says at first, it's not just water only, probably because there were some things circulating, maybe saying, well, that thing about the water, that's really the main thing about Jesus. And John is saying, no, 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 there's more than that. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, John is super concerned about how people not only talk about Jesus, but how they live out a life that is one that they say is committed to Jesus that is following Jesus. And so he gets very worked up about, because uh, the way people talk about things is the way people uh, express how they live these things. And so John's very attentive to this, right? And so this section seems to be more about the testimony about Jesus, but not just the testimony, not just things that give evidence, but it's the testimony, John says, of God. And that's a different thing. And it's even when John explains it, it, uh, it seems a very, like a very simple explanation, almost too simple. He says, this is the testimony of God. We, we receive the testimony of humans. We trust it. But the testimony of God is better than the testimony of humans because it's God. Right? And that's like, okay, that, I want more from you. Um, but he's not giving us more in that. But he's saying, that's because that's all you need. Right? The testimony of God about his son is what you need. So he goes on. What is this testimony then? There are the things that, that point to it, like the spirit, whose truth, the water, the blood, these things all point to it. But what is the testimony? The testimony, he said, is that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is one of those moments where John is being really direct, right, and talking about things that oftentimes they stir in us, again, all kinds of feelings, and we're hopefully going to get to that. The first thing, though, here is life, eternal life. What is it, right? I think it's evident uh, that it's not just for the future. Lots of times when we think about eternal life, we think, oh, way out after, you know, we pass on or something, we're, we're thinking about that. But it's also for now, because when John says God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He's bringing everything that he said about Jesus so far into that. Right? And so here's just some of the things he said. that In uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that Jesus' blood purifies us from all sin. 
That's the thing that happens right in the moment, right? 2.1, Jesus is our advocate with the Father. 2.22, Jesus is the Christ, meaning Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. 2.22, or uh, 3.8, Jesus destroys the devil's work. 3.16, Jesus laid down his life for us. 4.2, Jesus has come in the flesh. And in 4.15 and 5.5, Jesus is the Son of God. All those things are seen as an expression of that reality that God is love and the love that God, we read, has lavished on us, right? And there's a mix in there. There are things that, those are right for today, right now, and there are things that do have an impact on the future. But eternal life, I believe, is meant to be lived out now in our day-to-day in our moment to moment. It's a way to express the reality that one has overcome the world. Even though thinking about living into eternity should stop us in our tracks, it is much more than that. It's living, moving, and being in ways that express that we have received the love of God and in, it's in the presence of Jesus, right? And, and that it has allowed us, along with John, to reimagine to relearn, to re-experience, and to, re- and to live out in a new way what love looks like and to move beyond ourselves. And that leads me to kind of what I want to wrap up with. There have been times uh, here where we've talked about boundaries. Some boundaries that are built by others. Some that are built that have become systems. And some of those systems have resulted in things like Racism, gender equality, socioeconomic equality, and anything that really dehumanizes people. But then there are some boundaries that we put up. Sometimes they're necessary. Sometimes we need space from someone or something. Jesus took time to go off by himself to pray. That's a boundary. I need to be away from all you all and go have time by myself with my Father. Jesus took time to break away, not just from the apostles, not just from a group, but from a crowd, right? I need to be out of this noise. That's a boundary, right? And so there are some boundaries that we need to set up. But I want to say here, though, I want to be careful because the kind of love that John is talking about here is the kind that transcends the boundaries, Our relationship with God is such that we are to be transformed in ways that we love beyond who we currently are. That we grow and are transformed. And the only way that happens, I believe, is that we take steps, we practice it, we move in it, we learn and we grow in it. And it's going to hurt sometimes. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But I think we have to let this be the lead. We have to let Jesus guide us in this. I feel it's very important for us right now in our culture to understand that we are being asked at times to, um, sometimes uh, I've said things like, oh, uh, and it's talking about God is love. Sometimes a response to something someone is going through, uh, we might say, well, love is really the key here, or um, you know, one of the things that's really going to help us is we just got to learn to love each other more. And people might respond back and say, no, that's not an adequate response. Right? And, and you can only say that for this reason or that reason. Um, but there are people, ah, I'm trying not to be specific. I'm going to be specific. Um, so uh, at one moment, um, someone was responding to an issue about racial inequality. 
And um, a person responded and said, uh, we need to love each other more. Someone responded back and said, that's something that only a person of privilege would say. Now, that could be very true. But what if it's a person who's not a person of privilege that says that? What if it's a person who has been um, oppressed in the system, but they, because of the power of Christ, because of his love that moves beyond who we are and beyond the systems, is someone that can say, yeah, no, what we do need to do is love. Right? This is what happened to enslaved Americans, um, African Americans who were enslaved here, uh, enslaved here. They received the words of Paul, and they took them, and then they preached them back to their slave owners. They found meaning in those words, and they were able to say, no, this is what love really looks like. I don't think what you're doing is loving. And they were able to take that and preach back to the people who were oppressing them. That is a radically different kind of love. That's the kind of love that John is talking about. It's not just the when it's easy and it's my friends, and that's hard enough, but John's talking about a love that transcends the boundaries that the world has made. And that's something that, that's what it means to overcome the world. I want to invite the, the worship team up. I'm going to wrap up here in just a second. I want to let you know the prayer team is going to be available as we move into the last kind of, uh, aspects of our service they'll be available for you if you want prayer for anything or anything we've talked about that stirred something in you um, I have a couple of questions that I'm going to ask in just a second um, but you also have those on your sheets of paper they're on the online platform um, and they're there for you you can answer them right now but you can also take them home with you and uh, answer them throughout the week anything like that um, once we go through the questions, I'll pray. The team will play for a moment to give you some time to reflect, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. Um, I do want to let you know next week um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, um, in, but it's going to be a little bit familiar. So you remember the first week we read through the letter and we had time for response. We're going to do that again um, because I think it'll be interesting to hear how we respond now that we've been through it. Like, Oh, this is how I thought about this before. How do I think about this now? There are some things we're going to touch on in the last section uh, quickly, but um, that's going to be most of the time next week, so, so be ready for that. Um, the questions for today, though, um, when you think of eternal life, what comes to mind? Is it a reality? Right? If so, is it mostly in the future, kind of the time after we die? Is it mostly now? Is it some kind of mix or something else completely? And then lastly, what kind of boundaries exist in your life, whether you put them there or someone else put them there, that may be keeping you from loving in a way that could transcend those boundaries? Right? And, and, and these are for all of us. All of us have boundaries, both ones that we've placed, ones that we intentionally placed, ones that we didn't mean to place, right? Others that have been sort of passed on to us. And, and in our world right now, we're discovering these at a rapid pace. And so I want you to think carefully for a moment. What are the boundaries that exist? Maybe you want to think, what are the boundaries for the church? Maybe the boundaries for one life. Like anything along those lines that you think of, uh, we would receive. So I'm going to pray, take a moment to answer those, uh, and, then, and then we'll have a song and a benediction to close. Jesus, again, I give you great thanks for your presence with us today. 
Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to us more of who Jesus is, that we would get to fellowship with Jesus through your power, that we would know God, and that in doing so, we would become more like God. Not in a way that we become a God, but that we'd be more like our Father. We could be more like our family. God, that we would learn what it means to truly love and to love in ways, to love our, our kids in ways, to love our friends in ways, to love our spouses in ways, to love our coworkers in ways, our uh, people around us, whoever cross our paths in ways that transcend who we are. Help us to have those moments of insight where we get an idea and go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow up on that. Um, yeah, and help us to be attentive, Spirit, to your movement in places where we might not expect it. Yeah, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.